Hello, everyone. So I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Kate Shannon, an innovative health strategist challenging the standard healthcare paradigm. Dr. Kate is um, a family physician and a leading expert on dietary fats and metabolic health who has taught thousands of patients, doctors, and influencers how to upgrade their health by avoiding toxic seed oils prevalent in processed foods. She is on a mission to optimize wellness potential by dispelling outdated misconceptions in mainstream nutrition science and empower people to harness the intelligence of nature. Dr. Kate has shared her groundbreaking research in best-selling book like uh, Deep Nutrition and worked closely with professional athletes, executives, and everyday people struggling with excess weight, inflammation, and low energy. We'll cover simple practical strategies to feel and perform better along with the truth about eating for metabolic health. Uh, along with that, we'll also discuss about her journey of how she became an author, the obstacles she faced, how she overcame that, the writer, writer's blog, um, and then how she's uh, using different technologies to promote her book. So, Avolve, welcome to Dr. Kate Shannon here. Thank you so much for joining, Dr. Kate. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. Great. So um, what exactly and originally inspired you to focus your career on metabolic health and nutrition? I wanted, before I went to medical school, I really wanted to be um, able to get to the root cause of people's health issues and like address what was going on with their health naturally. Um, and really just like be able to explain some difficult to explain things like yeah. This all came from me actually as an athlete in high school where I continually had connective tissue injuries. I had uh, tendonitis and bursitis and my hip hurt, my, my ankles hurt um, and other people on the team didn't. And I felt like there was something must've been wrong with me, my physiology, and there must be some way to fix it. Um, so like my drive to go to medical school was to get at that route, but that's not what we learn. Like I had to go to medical school to learn that. No, you don't learn that. <laughs> so after graduating, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we do learn a lot of important stuff about how the body works, but there's still so many things that are unexplained in medicine. Um, and I didn't really realize going into medical school that you're not going to be doing research. You're not going to be doing anything particularly cutting edge. You're just going to be applying what's already known, what's kind of cookbook um, and just following a cookbook to do whatever the current standards of care, which generally, and I didn't know this either, um, involved just passing out pills nowadays, right? I had this romantic idea in my mind that, you know, in medical school, doctors are going to learn to be these detectives and get to the root of problems and all the interesting stuff. You know, that's well, so many doctors, I think, go to school, or at least in my generation, we did going, went to school with this idea that um, it was going to be something more than just cookbook medicine, but it turned out to be cookbook. So it was very disappointing. And um, going through the motions in practice and following the cookbook, I felt very um, like hollow and empty as a doctor. And I was kind of like resigned to just do that for the rest of my career, but everything changed for me and how I got into metabolic health um, when I had yet another injury, but this time it was different. It didn't get better. It was not just my ordinary kind of recurring thing. It was something medical science even could not even diagnose. Um, right. So like in the past things were like explainable, it was, um, a specific tendon that had a specific problem or it was shin splints or some kind of part of my body that was obviously hurting. But that wasn't the case with this new thing. Uh, I was a medical mystery. And here, now I really needed to be that detective. There was no cookbook going to help me. Uh, and so um, I could not find like really like a good solution for myself. Um, so with no other option, I ended up turning to nutrition. Um, mm. And long story short, uh, you know, turning to nutrition was inspired by biochemistry. 
uh, there was a biochemical term that I came across in a book that was supposed to be about, you know, healing through nutrition. And that term brought me to understand these things called vegetable oils that I had been eating. I didn't know what they were. They had a very different chemistry that was very, when I looked at the chemistry of vegetable oils and like soy oil and corn oil, I found that there was something about it that was very potentially dangerous and very potentially uh, prone to making people have inflammation anywhere in their body and disrupting lots of systems in the body. And that became something that like was the root cause that I had been looking for. Right. And so that helped me actually get quite a bit better, but then it also helped me in my career because now I was able to do more than just pass out pills and follow this cookbook medicine. It turns out that so many people's problems are related to inflammation. And so any kind of inflammatory disease like asthma or allergies or skin rashes, or even arthritis pains, digestive problems, you name it, um, would improve by avoiding these oils. And that was just so revolutionary to me. And it seems so important that, um, I, I had to start like writing about it. Actually, I, I literally had to start writing about it because once, you know, in, do in a doctor's office, you only get 15 minutes. There just isn't enough time to tell people. So I wanted to start with like a simple little handout to give people, um, you know, like a few pages or something. <laughs> but uh, I just found it was also interesting that I just kept writing and writing and it was hundreds of pages. And eventually I was like, well, I need some help here. I have to turn this into a book. And so that's where I started shifting from just you know, writing down the simple list of set of instructions to writing a, a book for a general audience that would be engaging to read and not just like a list, you know? Um, so that was a big shift and that was really hard. Um, but that's what got me started. Why do you say it's hard? Like, um, what was your process looks like? And when did you decide that, uh, yeah, I'm going to turn all of these instructions into the book and then how much time it took you to turn it into a book? Um, and did you take any external help or did you do it all yourself, like especially the writing part? Yeah, so I probably never would have, I don't, I'm not sure if I ever would have thought of writing a book um, mm. if it weren't for the fact that my husband was a, a writer and um, and like was always looking, was willing to help other people write books, right? So he had helped other people write books. So I was like, hey, I'm your wife. Maybe you could help me write a book. And so <laughs> that part of it um, was what enabled me to end up with a product that was very engaging and readable. Because at that point in my career of writing, I had no writing skills whatsoever. So uh, for me, it was difficult because I had no writing skills whatsoever and I didn't write for my audience at all. I was just writing for my own interest. And that ended up being like this tangential, unreadable, just like horribly boring to normal people. But it was like the interesting pieces of science to me. So the original versions of deep nutrition were just horrible and, and, and like, just nobody would read it. Um, it was really uh, almost like a journal of, you know, me journaling what I thought was interesting about science, right? Nobody re wasn't like fit for public consumption. So working with my husband, the actual writer, um, what we came to was a process where I would explain to him what I felt was most important um, or most interesting. And then he would say, okay, well, who cares? Like, that's interesting to you, but like, why would a person care? <laughs> so that was, that was a key part of the process, right? That like, it was a big skill for me to go from, okay, this is interesting to me, but why would anyone else in the universe care? Right. That wasn't sitting in my head with my own little set of interests. How do, how does it become interesting to a general reader? 
And so that was a big skill that working with my husband, like he, he did that. Um, but we did that during conversations and that's what was so difficult about it was because these conversations were so much time and energy and effort to get to one little point. Like sometimes we would talk for three hours about one sentence. So <laughs> this is not a process that like I recommend for anyone else, but, um, but the, like this particular detail of the process is not what I recommend. I recommend that probably you want to work with a professional book doctor who is, um, you know, uh, more capable of like more focused on doing exactly what an expert needs. Right. So I, I was an expert in the medicine and in the science, but a book doctor is an expert in explaining stuff to people and they can take subjects in all areas, like whether it's religion, philosophy, um, you know, cooking, whatever, and they can make it accessible to a person. So that is, that is what, um, I would recommend. And that's actually what I did for my last book. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so that last book, the first book, to give you an example of like what a difference it makes in terms of yeah. compressing your time, right? Mm -hmm. If you're thinking, well, a book doctor is going to cost me, I don't know, maybe 10,000, maybe 50,000, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars. Um, is it worth it? Well, deep nutrition, it took about eight years to get that thing done. And <laughs> the the last book took about a year and a half. Um, and there's, you know, both of the books, I feel like were, are equally full of new science, right? So there's a lot of material in both of them. Um, and they're actually deep nutrition, the first edition of deep nutrition was significantly shorter. So, so this book doctor process shortened it. Um, and it's a longer book. So absolutely essential. I, I don't think I would ever try and write a book by myself again. You really need to have that second person. How would someone like, can find a suitable book doctor for themselves in considering this person is definitely an expert and can really understand me if, even if he doesn't have any experience about my field, uh, making sure that he asked the right questions and then taking it out and then writing the book so that the reader eventually can get the pro get the benefit out of the book. So where to find them, what the process looks like, and how to work with them. Like, is there any proper way? Like, So in your last book, um, did you meet every day or weekly basis? And then did they ask you a question, like exactly what the process looks like. Right. So, so I was really lucky that I had support. So because this book um, was already under contract, I had a publisher and an editor at the publishing company, and I had agents, you know, literary agents, and my literary agency is Folio. Um, and my agents at Folio um, got me the uh, interviews with different book doctors. Um, and the book doctors even were recommended by the publisher, right? So those having those other people with the expertise and knowing, you know, they, they have the right like Rolodex, right? They have the right like um, address book of people that they've worked with before that are experienced. And even better, they have the same genre of experience, right? So the book doctor that I got actually had experience, you know, 20 years of experience in the publishing industry in all facets of editing, but also had done significant uh, work with the same genre, the, um, the health and nutrition space. So um, that that's like what I found was key, like the, the broad depth of experience, many years of experience in all sorts of editing capacity, um, not just being a book doctor, but also, you know, editing magazine articles and e editing um, books and, uh, you know, many different things that an editor can do. So she had all that experience. And then she'd also um, had connections and recommendations, right? So that was key too. Like I looked at her profile. She had, uh, 
she made it easy for me. Like a real professional will make it easy. They will have a website that has their past books. So you don't have to guess and do any kind of, uh, you know, detective work. They just show here's the books that I've done. And then what I did was I looked at the books and I said, okay, well, what are the reviews? Right. And the reviews on some of the books were like, oh, the writing is really great. And so that was helpful too. <laughs> right. So that you have all of that background knowledge going into the interview of the person. And then a uh, funny thing is, you know, when we got to the, by the time we got to the interviews, it was very simple. And the, the person that I ended up picking as my final book doctor, like within, it was a probably an hour interview, but within the first minute, I kind of already decided I really liked her partly because um, it was a video interview. And in the background, yeah. um, she had a map. Uh, and I'm a person who is really into maps. And so <laughs> you don't see that on a person's background very often. She had, I forget, it was a map of um, uh, Canada or something. I don't, I, I don't, I don't even remember, but I mean, it was a globe, like the whole world. And um, so, so like that little, like human interest sort of commonality, I don't know seemed like we would have a personality that clicked and it turned out yeah. that she really, really was, you know, very good to work with. Uh, so um, for what that's worth, right. Everybody ha has like probably their own process, but um, hopefully those specific examples <laughs> yeah, specific yeah, things might be useful for you. <laughs> what exactly was her role? Like was she writing the book on your behalf or you writing the book, but she was just guiding you? So it's going to be different for every stage at which a person gets involved. So she got involved at the very, like at a very, very late stage. I'd already written probably 600 pages. Um, like the manuscript was very long and I'd already done many versions of it. And my problem was that it just, I wasn't sure how to organize what would be the first piece of information? What would be the next piece of information? Yeah. What is the important thing to bring the reader through this so that it feels like they're going on an interesting journey of learning that is step by step in a logical unfolding? And I couldn't do that myself. And so what I needed was somebody who could like take all the pieces that were already written and kind of like a um, like a chess game, like strategize. Okay. Here's the first move. Here's the next move. Here's the, uh, like I had all the chess pieces and the, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, um, the chess board and everything was already there. So she just worked with me to figure out like, okay, this is what you want to do first. This is what you want to do next. So she did not really do very much writing at all. She just kind of cut and paste and, um, maybe a few like transitions, right? Because if something was cut from one pace, one spot, and you blop it into a a conver an ongoing conversation, because the chapters are an ongoing conversation. You yeah. Take out one conversation from another one chapter and put it into another chapter. You need transitions. So she was really good with adding some transitions too. But it, it took her. Yeah. It, it only oh, took her like. Um, a couple of weeks once she got to the part of laying, you know, the chess game itself of what was going to go first, what was going to go next, what was going to go next. But it took her about two weeks of thinking about it. Right. So, <laughs> so, and I was under a deadline. So I was getting worried because I was, we had a month and two weeks had gone by and I had like nothing. <laughs> so, mm. Basically she um, fixed so, the entire yeah, flow of the book, right? Process. She fixed the entire flow of the book, making it more, uh, engaging, more readable for the end reader, right? Yes, so that it follows a natural progression so that you're not confusing people with so much information up front, yeah, yeah. right? Because when it's an information book and you're trying to tell people so many things that are so important about their health, my inclination is always to just tell them everything, you know, in the first chapter. So the first chapter is like, hundred pages. Yeah, I mean, that's like an exaggeration, but that's ridiculous, right? There's so much in the first chapter. And, and so like, she was like, no, no, here's just make this one chapter be about this yeah. one simple thing. And yeah. then, then the next chapter is about the next logical question that will come to somebody's mind. And 
I had all the answers and all of that. So she was able to cut out a lot of stuff. So instead of it being maybe 500 pages, it, it was only probably like 300. So that's a lot. That's good because those 200 missing pages were information that was really probably irrelevant to the book or, or even sometimes repetitive. And that's mm. the worst thing you don't want to repeat because people are gonna be like, I read this already and lose interest and not finish the book. So the book doctor for me is like a gear, like a help to make sure that somebody doesn't just start in the book and buy the book, but that they finish the book. Yeah. <laughs> finish reading it. And did the publisher pay this book doctor or you paid uh, on your own? I, I pay, to, right? Like that. I mean, that's probably something that could be negotiable, but I think in for the most part, it's usually the author's job to get the manuscript ready yeah, for yeah. the publisher to mm. the the final the editor these days is different so you know i'm i'm of a generation where the whole process of writing and publishing has changed in the past 20 years so when i kind of first started getting into this the publishers had editors that would just do a few books a year and they basically were the book doctor yeah. But now that has changed and the editors that work with the publishing companies have to do a lot more volume. And so they don't have the time. So you use just, just a more um, different specialists involved with the process now. So you kind of have to outsource some of the stuff that would have been done by the publisher. They don't do that anymore. So it's on the author. So perhaps these editors now simply focus on copy editing, like line by line editing, just the grammar and, uh, right, just making not sure. Not even really that, like oh, more really? like just like, is this acceptable or not? Yeah, so ah. because there is a copy editor too, right? So the the copy editor um, is the one that does that, right? Like the the editor editor does a little bit of that, but the copy mm. editor is really the, the one where... Um, her job is to catch every last thing. She's like, you know, the guard dog of grammar is how I, I look at it that way. So it's a, another different role. So that also, um, I don't know how that was because I've only done books in the past 10 years, but I, I don't know if back in the day, the editors was also a copy editor, but now it's a separate editor. And that's something that the publisher pays for. <laughs> so and who knows how long you, that'll be maybe that'll be can you disclose like soon. yeah and can you disclose like how much did you pay to the book doctor well i know that the range is somewhere between you know just a few thousand dollars and a hundred thousand it really depends on what they're doing and how much work it is for them and how much time it's going to be for them um i know that like if uh well in the health space actually most people are not anything like what I do in terms of the writing. Most of the the health books that you read, um, you know, like every popular health book, if you can think of any of them, the the main author does not do hardly the level of writing that that I do. Um, yeah. And that's just me. Like I I have a different depth of the science, and so. I can't outsource it to anybody else, but um, most health books are like just kind of one concept, like low carb or keto or I don't know, mm -hmm. vegan or, you know, something like that. Uh, there's just like one simple concept. So you can outsource that. And so those, those folks uh, I've been told that do that kind of most of the writing of the book and the author just sort of looks over it, puts their name on it and says, yeah, this is something I can get behind. It's part of my mission. That's in the health space. Um, and that would be like around $150,000. And that was even quoted a few years ago. So it's probably more than that. Um, but so that's in the health space. The genres are different. Like if we're talking about um, another type of nonfiction book that's not in the health space, most of that is by experts who truly are the experts. And and they have to um, be much more involved. Um, but uh, the health space is kind of unique because most of the people uh, are uh, are just, you know, almost like I, I want to say 
figureheads sort of like promoting the concept and for the flag waving of like this is the way to do it right like this is this is you want to believe in this I believe in this almost like the politicians of the concept whether it's low carb low fat high fat whatever that's um that's that's the strange thing about the health book industry is is um it's almost very superficial but uh, so that's why I, I'm different and I've had trouble writing because it took a while for my agents to understand that aspect of working with me as an author. And you know, everybody's unique, right? But this was my unique thing and I had to discover what it was. But I, it's, it's important to know that like every genre is got its little quirks. And so I only know the quirks of the health space. <laughs> yeah. And you also actually work with these book, book doctors but in our world like we call them um developmental editors like basically like who fixes the entire flow and the entire structure of the book so it's kind of a same process where if you have done the majority of the book done like they've written the book uh but kind of uh, unsure about the flow and how readers would feel then you can hire these book doctors or book like developmental editors, like who can fix the entire flow and structure of the book and make sure that it is uh, having more um, easy to like read experience for the reader. So, and then like last time when we had, we had a discussion about like, uh, you mentioned that you went on an interview that actually went viral and that helped you get a lot of sales and reviews on the book. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so um, that was my real time with Bill Maher spot. Um, so Bill Maher is a uh, American comedian, but also news show host. So um, if you've heard of Jon Stewart or Jamie Oliver, there's sort of a similar idea where they make jokes about how ridiculous the state of the world is. Um, but they also take on, you know, serious topics, obviously, because the state of the world is often a serious, in a seriously bad state. Um, so Bill Maher um, had heard about me because of his producer who had heard about me on another podcast. Mm -hmm. So um that's where it's just like you never know what's going to lead to a big kind of breakthrough right so i was on a podcast with um a um uh with a doctor and i said something that this producer just happened to find really interesting and it was about seed oils um and uh covid and uh so she read my second book which was called the fat burn fix and she said, wow, this is something really different. And she thought that Bill Maher, you know, the the host of the Real Time with Bill Maher show, might be interested in reading himself and mm. then having me on the show. So turns out he was. And um, he was a very good host in terms of being very, um, very experienced. He had a lot of, he provided a lot of the structure and so for me, going from being on podcasts almost exclusively for many years to being on like a huge national TV platform um, was a big switch. And I wasn't really prepared for it, uh, honestly. I mean, I did my best and he he helped me a lot. And that's what a good TV host will do. Like they will yeah. help the sort of struggling expert that has a, a lot of important knowledge, but not a lot of media savvy. And so, so he did a lot of the explaining of what my book was about. Like he summarized a lot of the key points mm -hmm. so that um, the conversation could really be like more of a back and forth rather than, um, you know, a monologue, which is what I was used to because that's what the podcasts normally are, right? Like the podcasts are normally, you know, the, the expert is the expert and they kind of do a, a lot of just downloading a lot of their knowledge. Um, so it was a different thing. And yeah. um, looking back, what I would, I would recommend is um, maybe even working like with a, you know, a, a media person just to kind of help you understand how the process is going to go. But honestly, 
the, the, it's just, you never know. Uh, right. Because it's, I've been on a couple of these bigger shows now and, and the producers will tell you, uh, the producers do their best to try to prepare you, mm-hmm. but the, you just never know. Like the, the host has like their own, they go down one very specific path and, and you can't really prepare for <laughs> In my experience. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to prepare for. Right. They tell you to get your talking points lined up, but you just never know which one they're going to want to dive, dive down the deepest. <laughs> so. so the first one did, that you did, was it, did you go to the studio or was it just online? Uh, yeah, for the first, uh, well, so this, this particular one was during COVID. So there was no going right. to the studio, right. right? So, mm-hmm. um, so this was um, at home and that made it very easy for me because I don't really like traveling or going to the studios. Yeah. But um, in the past, there have been others that I did, like um, in Los Angeles, like the one ma- major news station for LA and major news station for Washington, D.C., and a couple other places where you do go in the studio. Um, those are very different because the host has not read your book. They're not familiar with your material, and you have much less time. So that's where the standard mm-hmm. media prep is, is like that's designed for that, right? You just get your few talking points out there and you're done. It's not as much of a challenge as kind of like the in-depth news show, (laughs) which was Bill Maher. That was just nothing that I was really not prepared for that. But um, so, uh, but yeah, so the standard in-studio stuff, um, that's where you have to be on the ball and just have those talking points lined up and be ready to get your talking points out in about three minutes, even if there's an hour worth of stuff or 10 hours worth of stuff. And um, are you working on another book right now? Are, are you done? Well, so the process of this, this is my like third book with a publisher, um, but it would be my fifth book total. Um, that is the one that where I ha- was talking about the book doctor. So I'm where it's a long lead time. Uh, so right now I had the final manuscript is in and there's another like many months before it's actually going to be available for purchase. So I'm sort of still working on that book, but I'll also have to move on to the next project because it's most of my work is done. Usually how much time it takes, like for an example, once you deliver the manuscript to the publisher, how much time usually do they take to edit, design, and then uh, publish the book and make it live? I say they probably an average of about 18 months, right? Like from the beginning to the, um, to the end is maybe 18 months, maybe two years. Um, but for me, it's been, you know, it really does depend a lot. Like my first book that was, that whole thing was compressed into about, uh, maybe six months. And, um, my second book, it was more like four years, four years, Right. So <laughs> it really depends a lot on the editor and the expectations that the, the editor has and what how ready you are with the materials going into it. But I guess the average is probably around 18 months to two years. And do publishers also help you with marketing the book? No. Or you have to- well, yes. I mean, they would say yes, but that it's not as much as it used to be. Um, so, you know, th- really their job is to get the books in bookstores and get the books on the um, the online retailers and uh, to do some initial publicity. Um, but most, most of the publicity comes down to the author these days. So that's why it's so important to be able to do a good podcast. <laughs> and what's your number one strategy to promote and sell your book right now? Is it getting on podcast or is that something else? It's going to be for the next book. It's going to, it's going to be podcasts. Just for me personally, I don't really like the travel and all the last yeah. minute, the, the hecticness of being on national TV. Um, even though it sells a lot of books, I don't really enjoy it at all. And um, like the process of it, the background. Um, so if, if it's national TV where they're okay with me being in a separate studio, that's fine. Um, but uh Mostly, I really look forward to the podcast because you have that time for the deeper dive um, with news, even the in-depth news shows like like Bill Maher, 60 Minutes. You only have like a, ten, a several minute spot. And if there's a lot of information that is new to the public, 
um, then it's not, it doesn't feel like enough time. And, and also it isn't maybe really enough time for the person to get an interest in you as an author, as a person, as an author, mm-hmm. um, for the audience to decide if they, they like you, if they want to invest, you know, whatever, 30 bucks in your book and the time it takes to read your book and the space on the shelf that your book is going to take up and all those little things, you know? So I feel like the podcast is really the perfect medium because it, it I, I just feel like you, you need that longer depth of time. Yeah. And usually these, do these hosts or the podcast reach out to you or uh, you also reach out to these podcast hosts yourself that like, Hey, like, can I talk and promote my book over there? Well, so for me, it's been all of the above, like the last many books that I, the last books that I've done, it was me kind of reaching out sort of to people that I already knew really, honestly, like I, I didn't reach mm-hmm. out to people I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've been doing this for so many years that I do know a good number of people that have podcasts. So I'm fortunate that way. So I was just able to reach out and say, Hey, I got another book. And, um, a lot of times the response was just super positive and, Oh, great. Like, when do you want to record and, you know, all the good stuff. But, um, this time, since, um, this book is a little bit, uh, different, um, it's not so much self-help it's, it's big think it's like political almost. It's like the politics of health. Um, in this case, I'm going to want to reach out to people that I don't have relationships with. So I need a PR agency for that. Got it. What do you think how your books have impacted your personal and professional life? Like if you compare your life before writing books and now after books, like what has changed? For me, everything, because it was with medicine, it was so uh, difficult to practice once I had learned about nutrition, because it just takes so long to help people change their habits and to help people understand what I felt that they needed to understand and what they asked me for. People have a million questions and and you only have 15 minutes in, you know, American medicine with insurance paying for it, that insurance is not going to pay for your time. If it goes beyond, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour at the most, um, then, uh, you know, you're just basically volunteering and that person still wants to ask you questions because maybe they drove an hour to see you. So it was very difficult for me to practice for that reason. So without the ability to help engage with the world through social media and especially through podcasts, um, I, I would never, I'd probably still be struggling to, uh, find a way to practice in the insurance based system that really doesn't want this kind of medicine. The, then, you know, that's what my, that's why my next book is political because once I learned the truth about nutrition and the healthcare system, I didn't really take a lot of pride in working within the healthcare system. And it was difficult for me to, to like look my colleagues in the eye when I knew that um, they could, they couldn't really like accept the kind of viewpoint or information that I knew they needed to be able to help their patients. And they couldn't accept it for the same reasons that I couldn't practice in that system. It's not that they weren't interested or wouldn't really do it if the system was designed differently, but the system is designed to uh, help people get on drugs basically. And, you know, help, help people get, unhealthy because their diet is unhealthy and doctors promote a diet that's unhealthy. That's why the seed oils are such a, such a topic uh, because doctors promote seed oils as healthy. The American heart association specifically um, that educates doctors about nutrition tells them to eat these unhealthy oils. And that makes the medical industry um, an agent of chronic disease because the medical industry is telling people to eat these things that make them sick. And then at the other side of it, they also benefit from having patients um, all the time (laughs) because everybody's sick. And then the hospitals benefit because everybody's sick and 
of course, the biggest people the, who benefit the most is the drug industry. That they're the wealthiest, and because doctors are basically trained to dispense drugs instead of yeah. telling people to eat a healthy traditional diet. So the whole system's messed up, and that is why this changed everything for for me. Because I, it, it's uh, once you learn that, then you're basically in a different universe than the one you started out in. <laughs> Can you explain exactly what seed oils are and why you call call them the hateful eight? So the seed oils uh, come from a collection of eight seeds that uh, become oil only in a factory. They have to be refined in huge factories, very heat and pressure intensive, chemical intensive process. These are not oils that humans should be eating. And the eight of them are uh, corn, canola, cotton seed, soy, sunflower, safflower, and rice bran, and grapeseed oil. And the reason that they're bad is has to do with chemistry. And the chemistry of the oils is very different from the chemistry of fats and oils that people traditionally ate. Um, you know, people traditionally ate more saturated, monounsaturated, fat-rich foods, um, uh, you know, like, well, you're, I assume you, are you in India? Yes. Or someplace? No, I'm in India. Lots of ghee, right? Coconut and uh, probably some mustard seeds. So uh, what are some other traditional oils in India? Yeah, we use ghee, ghee, like which is made of uh, milk. Um, That's a natural process. Um, Yeah, so coconut oil, is very popular like when we go with the natural one um especially the cold press um some people also use mustard oil um but again we call it like in india we call it kachi ghani which is kind of a cold press again um so um so yeah these are the oils that are kind of most popular like when it comes to natural oils India. Yeah. So every country, like every country has their own little set of uh, common fats and oils that were traditionally used based on what the animals that they produced, uh, what were the animals that they produced. And so there's a lot of cows and cattle in India yeah. and throughout much of the world, um, actually, with the exception of, um, you know, uh, the very, with the exception of just a few countries, everybody now has um, dairy animals. And so every, almost everybody on the planet now has access to butter and butter fat is very stable compared to the chemistry of these seed oils. You can, you can heat it um, and it won't break down chemically and you can eat a good amount of it and your body can process it naturally. But the vegetable oils are not like that. If you heat them, they actually change into toxic chemicals. They just, they uh, change their chemistry is what they were becomes something different. And that something different is, can be extremely toxic. And even when they don't become toxins, they still will, their chemistry, they, there's fatty acids that are not saturated are called unsaturated. And the polyunsaturated fatty acids are the worst ones because they are the least stable ones. But if you eat a lot of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, your body fat, you know, they build up in your body fat and that changes the chemistry of your body fat, which causes a metabolic shift. And that's what the book, the fat burn fix was about the discovery of what is that metabolic shift? Well, it's a devastating one because it makes you crave sugar. It makes you hungry all the time. It changes how your brain works. And it, uh, makes cancer and inflammatory diseases almost inevitable. The more of these that you eat, the more likely you are to get some sort of horrible disease, um, you know, early-ish in life before your natural lifespan would come to an end. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what they are. And the the tradition, they're, they're basically, they're industrially produced and they have no flavor. And yet, they're probably super common. I think um, somebody from uh, the northern part of India said that like soy oil was very common. And another part of India, somebody said that corn oil is very common. Um, so it just kind of depends on what's grown locally. But those 
are not healthy and the traditional fats that are more expensive yeah. are the ones we should be eating. And that's mm. the problem is that they're more expensive and people can't afford it anymore, right? It used to be everybody could afford these things, but now people can't. And so uh, as a result, people are eating these industrial oils and they don't, the real tragedy is that the American Heart Association is telling the world that they're healthy when that is not true. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of criminal, I think. Actually, in India as well, like 99% of the people are using these refined oils like uh, that are made in factories, industries. Um, now, I think it it's more than 10 years, like uh, my family and I uh, are not using these refined oils. Um, but I know for sure that it most most of the homes out here in India as well. Um, they are going with refined oils, and especially like uh, in India as well. Especially the um, the drugs mafia, like is here. They promote these uh, openly, and uh, and I'm shocked to see like there are some ads on TV that they promote that it is good for your heart. So. Uh, but like, we know for sure that like it's not good. But why do you think like people, not a lot of people, talk about uh, the side effects and uh, exactly what is seed oils and what are the um, the side effects of these on your health? Like, why do you think there are very very few people like who talk about these? Well, I can tell you that the people who talk about it, um, like nobody was talking about them before I started talking about them back in, you know, 2004, when I first started talking about it. Um, and I, I hadn't learned about it because the science wasn't there. So yeah. like nobody's talking about it because I'm the only person talking about it. And, and, and even though I've been trying to help the world learn about it for almost 20 years now i'm only one person and i'm not like <laughs> i'm not uh you know a media mogul and i'm not like very out there promoting myself and my ideas all the time i'd rather do science and write more books so um like that's why i think that's why but you know thankfully now that a lot of people have written books where they were based on, like I helped people write their books, right? So one of the um, best-selling books that I was involved with in is called the Keto Reset Diet. And um, the authors for that book, they interviewed me and in, like uh, extensively, and I, you know, I helped them make sure that the message got out there that if you are eating a high-fat diet, you absolutely need to be paying attention to these oils. Whereas other keto books before that one. They never mentioned the oils at all. Actually, they just said use whatever oil. Like they didn't know. They didn't know the difference because, like I say, this the science wasn't out there in the yeah. medical world. It's mm. it's not like I made up the science. I read the technical stuff, right? Because like before I went to medical school, I didn't mention this, but I was actually a biochemist. So I knew on things about biochemistry that enabled me to read the technical journals. And in the technical journals, I discovered that there were many chemists and, and toxicologists who had done research showing that these oils could really do a lot of harm in the body. And so what I did was just kind of translate what they mm -hmm. were saying into modern medicine, right? Like, oh, okay, well, so if these things promote inflammation, here's how they can promote fatty liver. Here's how they can promote asthma. Here's how they can cause heart attacks. Here's how they can damage your brain. Here's how they'll change your DNA, uh, you know, and on and on. Here's, a, here's how they inflame the gut. Um, so that's, that's what I did. Um, but, you know, more people should be talking about it. Um, but it's very hard unless you have like a lot of scientific background to talk about it for a very long time. And so now most of the people talking about it are on TikTok, where it's about 30 seconds, you know, and um, on, on TikTok, you're not going to take somebody who like a medical doctor who has years of hearing, you're not going to turn around the opinion of somebody like a medical doctor 
in a 30 second spot on TikTok, right? Unless they're already partway there. Um, so, so I think that's kind of like the next big barrier is that I, I need to get on bigger shows and have a longer conversation that doctors get to hear. And I really think that once doctors start learning that they've been given the wrong information about nutrition, they've been making their own patients sicker, you know, that they'll be horrified and want to learn more. So that's, that's what I'm working on with this next book. That's the mission of this next book is really to help people as individuals, but also to help medicine become like a, you know, a better profession than it is right now. <laughs> right. Have you, have you finalized the title of the book? Yeah, it's going to be called Dark Calories. Because oh. it's dark, right? This is it's yeah. a, something people don't know about. It's yeah. um, you know, so it's kind of hidden in the dark, and it's kind of sinister and evil. What is happening in medicine? So, it's got that dual uh, meaning there. I'm curious. Like, do you also get emails from your readers saying that how it has changed their life and their health? Like your well, books. yes, I'm so lucky to like get that, uh, you know, on a regular basis. I, I'm, you know, very, that really makes my day. You know, if somebody yeah. uh, sends me an email um, uh, about like how much it's changed their life, I, I get that quite frequently. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm very grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> what suggestions do you have for aspiring writers who are struggling to write their book and want to write the book? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I can tell you like that I wouldn't have wanted to write a book unless I felt I had something important to say. Yeah. So for me, my first piece of advice is, well, what is it you want to say? <laughs> and then, you know, figure out how that's going to change the world for the better. Um, mm -hmm. And then make sure that that is coming through in everything that you write so that it, it doesn't seem like you're just talking about your silly idea, which is how it would have been, you know, when I, my, my first many, many attempts at writing this um, were exactly that. It was just like, oh, I love this idea. It's so interesting to me. No, <laughs> you have to Great. have to be interesting to someone else. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate, for joining in today. Um, can you share with the audience that where they can find you uh, and your books? Yeah, thanks for the question. So please visit my website, which is drkate.com. And that's D-R-C-A-T-E.com. And then I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram with the handle at drkate.com. Oh yeah, not Twitter, X, right? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that to us. Great. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Kate. It was fun chatting with you and learning so many things from you, not only about the book journey, but also about uh, seed oils and uh, the damage it does to your body. So thank you so much today. Um, and thank you so much, listeners, for hopping in and listening to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you.